0: You are listening to Secret Handshake, the podcast covering the movies that help you identify your friends and maybe make a few more along the way. Coming up, a very special bonus episode about 2022's most anticipated blockbuster, Top Gun Maverick, featuring Tom Cruise, Tom Cruise, Tom Cruise, Tom Cruise, and Tom Cruise. Martin, your reputation precedes you. Thank you, sir. Not a compliment. Welcome back to another edition of Secret Handshake. I'm your host, Jacob Knight. Joining me, as always, is Martin Carlson. Martin, you ready to talk some Tom Cruise? I'm always ready. So, I'm not going to lie. I didn't know, leading up to this episode, how we were even going to approach it. And then we went, because part of me wanted to be like, oh, take the usual route of like, when did you first discover Tom Cruise? Do you remember when he became a part of your life and Star
1: Wars, like, I don't fucking know.
0: Well, (laughs) we went to see Jack white, uh, last week live. And one of the, uh, people that we were hanging out with, like asked us when we got there, like, Oh, are you guys big Jack white fans? And I distinctly remember having the thought, are there Jack white fans? And not because like Jack white is good or bad, no qualitative measure. Yeah to his music or his art, but simply the fact that like Jack white has now been a part of American pop culture, like the fabric of it all for 20 some years, 20 plus years. As long as we've been adults, let's say since the white stripes through like writing a bond song to doing his own solo work. Like it's just like Jack white is part of our, vernacular in like a pop sense and I feel like obviously to a much larger extent you could say the same thing about Tom Cruise like there is no discovering Tom Cruise anymore Tom Cruise is the last breed or the last of a certain
1: type of breed I guess I should say of movie star that we grew up with yeah it's funny because I 100% agree and it's a very good tack to take because you know I'm a big Dolph Lundgren fan, but that's a thing where it's like specific to me, my background. Right. There's um, a niche element to that to some degree. Right. Or, you know, there are certain musicians where it's like a little bit off the beaten path, but like, remember when you first heard, okay, computer, you don't really remember when you first heard the Beatles. Exactly. Or, or even like Springsteen is that size where he's just, right. he's just everywhere ubiquitous. And I agree that, you know, I am a bigger fan now though of Tom Cruise than ever because of the fact that he is the last of this movie star breed, that he is bringing a certain type of movie. Now when he has something come out, I run to the theater. I mean, I've seen Top Gun 2. It hasn't even been out for officially for four days and I've seen it twice in IMAX. And, and so that's not usually, I mean, I like seeing movies over again and again, but it's been a while since I have done that. But like, all the last Mission Impossible films has been like that for me. Like, I'm there opening day. I probably see it two or three times the opening week because he's bringing a certain um, level of filmmaking and a, of big blockbuster filmmaking, which is not done anymore. And again, like you said, like, just him as a movie star. Um, and, but yeah, I don't, I growing up, it was like, yeah, I like him. Fine. I saw everything. I saw Mission Impossible 1. Like, I saw Far and Away in the theater, but I was never like, you know, asking my parents, oh, when's the next Tom Cruise movie come out? Instead of like, even like Van Dam, I was more of a Van Damme fan because it was like, that was a, a a genre niche, right? Of like, I'm into like his martial art types of movies. Tom Cruise is like, all right, biggest movie star in the world. You know, it's like being a fan of Tom Hanks, it feels like to me, where it's just like- Well, I, I think it's slightly different also because
0: we're old enough to remember when Tom Cruise was just- a weirdo who jumped on a couch Yep. too. So there's almost like an element of an underdog story to like the latest reinvention of Tom Cruise's because like, if you watched his movies throughout his entire career, like we have and grown up with them, is that like you have almost like not to go too hard on a pun, but like the Maverick period to where he's like making, he's the young hot stud making stuff like all the right moves Top Gun, Risky, risky business, business, Color of Money, which is one I really want to hit upon when we get into it. And Days then of Thunder. Days uh, of Thunder. And I feel like Days of Thunder might actually be the end. Cocktail is another I one. I think Far and Away is too. Far of, and Away. young buck kind yeah. of. Yeah, and that might actually be the better turning point film because then he gets into a more experimental actorly period yep. where he's trying to get... The firm, the firm, Jerry Maguire, which is where he's nominated for an Academy Award, um, Vanilla Sky, yeah, Or Cameron Crow, and uh, Magnolia, obviously, which we spent an entire episode on. Eyes Wide on, Shut, <laughs> Eyes Wide Shut, working with Kubrick, so like he was very particular with actually trying to work with autorist directors. I mean, really, probably since Scorsese. I would say in color of money, right?
1: Yeah. Am I missing one there? No. Cause he, he, cause then you hit 2002 and he, I feel like really hits back into the blockbuster stuff with minority report. And then a few years later with uh, war of the worlds, which is where he takes the downturn because that was the couch jumping right tour. And I honestly don't think he got back on his feet until 2011 with, um, mission impossible Four with ghost protocol. I think that was the return of Cruz, like that's when he did the craziest stunt ever climbing the Burj Khalifa. Sure. That was him back on the scenes. I remember when I seen the trailer, I said, oh, he's setting up the next generation for um, what's his fucking name? Jeremy Renner. Jeremy Renner. And that was the feeling you get from the trailer and from the, that movie. And, and it almost felt like it was a necessity. Like
0: the studio was even pushing like, oh, we might need a backup plan because Tom Cruise's stock
1: has fallen so hard. Absolutely. And I remember when I seen the trailer for that. I was like, oh wait, we did know it's another, you know, Mission Impossible. Because like, I thought three is the weakest of the group easily. And that's when he was like linked up with J.J. Abrams. They were trying to kind of reinvent him. Three didn't work out that way. He brought, his, brought in friends like, um... Philip Seymour Hoffman to play the villain, calling it all his favors. Then he's in Lions for Lambs, the fucking Robert Redford movie. Not a good movie, but again, feels like a a grab for, let's say, respectability again. Yes, absolutely. Um, I mean, Rock of Ages, that's a little bit later, but also... We don't need to discuss that film. Yeah, um, but he was trying different things, um, and then, yeah, I think... Oh, we forgot a big one. Which Michael one? Mann, 04, Collateral. Oh, yeah, I you mean, know? Collateral
0: I was going to get to because... Okay. Again, the autorist tendency is that there's there are times in his career where it feels like he's the anti-Will Smith to a certain degree, mm-hmm. to where he actually pushes himself and challenges himself to work with guys who kind of take him outside of his comfort zone, collateral being a big one, Magnolia being the obvious example because yeah. like PTA became the go-to guy really with I would say starting with Burt Reynolds, even though Reynolds doesn't speak about that movie in any kind of favorable terms, let's say, but like PTA was doing a very similar thing to Quentin Tarantino where it was like, how can I take a particular type of movie star and where Tarantino was rehabilitating yeah, a or certain has been image kind of thing, yeah. like with John Travolta or Pam Greer, like PTA felt more self-aware to a certain degree to where it was like, okay, you know what Tom Cruise is all about, but what if I made him this Tucker Max pickup artist type weirdo who has an emotional breakdown while trying to reconnect with his father? Or, you know, what if I took Adam Sandler and put him in an experimental rom com and not just like 51st Dates?
1: You know, does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. And it's thinking about that era of him like looking to be challenged and thinking about him now where. Um, He it's so different um, where he works with directors like Kaczynski who did uh, Oblivion and um, and now Top Gun Maverick and and Christopher Corey, who's like his right hand man, who even wrote read rewrites or a lot of rewrites for or maybe some directing for uh, Top Gun Maverick he wants people who similar to like MCU mentality. He wants kind of like people who are, are solid at what they do, but the brand is Tom Cruise. Like he's the producer. He doesn't want to be stretched. He's the one Like there's shots of him. Like it seemed like he directs similarly. Um, The old school producer would do is like, Hey, we, this is the size movie we're making. This is what you should expect. Like a, like a David O. Selznick, you know, on set, like, Hey, this is the movie. And again, it really started with, with Ghost Protocol of he is now synonymous with being like Jackie Chan level of insanity, of what stunts did he do for real. It's all mixed in, similar to like Daniel Day-Lewis being a method actor. It's instead of that, it's more like this guy, he flew his own helicopter the end of Fallout, or he climbed the world's one of the world's tallest buildings, or strapped himself next to a plane for Rogue Nation. Yeah. It's all part of the, and now for Top Gun, I mean, how much press he flew the fucking plane over the cannes Film Festival yeah it's it's fucking nuts or landing a helicopter for the premiere um, on the USS Midway um, and he's you know we'll, we'll ignore Scientology of this episode but he, it's this larger than life superhero mentality he's he's putting forth um, off and on screen.
0: Well, and it's interesting to track even that kind of development within the Mission Impossible franchise itself because it starts with Brian De Palma, still churning out very much like a peak Brian De Palma movie. It has all of the hallmarks of like what you came to admire for his films, at Mm -hmm. least for his fans. Like you got a Brian De Palma Mission Impossible. It's really great, and then you have Mission Impossible Two with John Woo, who you know Tom Cruise also famously fought for. But then J.J. Abrams, as much as we both don't like him as a filmmaker, did signal a sort of pivot to to a more workmanlike yep. process. Yep. And then inside of the Mission Impossible, you have because Macquarie's working with Tom Cruise, starting with Valkyrie, right? Is, yes. That's is it, that the it first it one met where there. they he they did met.
1: rewrites for the Singer movie, and
0: then he yeah. he. Uh, worked on a bunch of projects after that, even in like a consulting or even yep. ghostwriting capacity, and then took over the reins of the Mission Impossible series. Started with Jack Reacher first. Exactly, yeah. yeah which, so is, you, which I like a lot. You have Reacher, and then, because he even writes Jack Reacher, uh, Never Look Back, right? I believe. I think he helped with it. That's, that's Or that's, Never Go
1: Back. Um, never Look Back, I Never think. Look Back. That is the one, honestly, in the last 10 years, that is the one fucking trip. That he's like he tripped up. That's the worst. That's one of the worst he's ever done. It's really bad. See, I
0: don't mind that movie. I think as a piece of like almost like airport novel cinema, like it totally works for me. Like, I'm not gonna sit here and extol the virtues of Jack Reacher 2, but like and especially compared to the first one, because the first one's really fucking good. But you wanna talk about like almost being like the walk the line of like airport novel cinema. Like it hits all the beats to yep. a perfect degree. I mean, Lee Child is the Airport novel author. Yeah, you that's know? what so I mean. It's, it's like, perfect, he's, right? Yeah. He's, he's doing the thing like almost near perfectly. Um, but like, it's weird. You you see Macquarie become almost like the shepherd of Tom Cruise's career from that point because it is all about building this family of folks that he trusts. Now, the interesting thing is that Kaczynski now feels like he's evolving into a Tony Scott type because of from like Oblivion to Only the Brave to Top Gun Maverick. Like he does the one thing that Tony Scott was great at that we, well, not the only one thing that Tony Scott was great at, but you know what I'm saying. Things. One of many things that he was great at was that he made movie stars look good. Oh man. And Kaczynski's really great at shooting like
1: pure cinematic presences. The, one of the things, so I, I saw Oblivion in IMAX as well, and I was excited. Um, I was like, oh, this looks, I mean, the trailer was really good for that. I saw it with a friend before work. I was still bartending then. And I just like, it's so synth. You got that M83 score. Um, it's, it's really like Cruz is as full on movie star in it. I mean, we, we talk about, you cause talk he's about, wearing the Yankee hat in that too. Right. Right. And he's, he feels, it's, it's basically human Wally. It's this guy who's collecting. <laughs> I've always thought oblivion is human Wally, <laughs> yeah, you know, that's and, actually really good. Yeah. I'm just like, I saw it. I'm like, <laughs> Oh, but I mean if you're going to go for it, go for it. And, um, actually I used to have a, a review site. It was just like a fucking like WordPress site. I built myself back. Oh, in the, me too. 2013. We all did. Um, I had a whole thing I remember writing about it, but I think it still applies of um, we see it in Maverick where the early, we talk about the stinger of him pulling out the jacket. it's this like, you know, putting on the, the, the uniform of this, of this star slash hero. We know, um, but there's a scene in, um, in Oblivion where he's in the old, he's built that log cabin by the water and it's all these like, Artifacts from like Tom Cruise's career, it feels like he has old sunglasses, his sunglasses. It has this feel of like taking stock of his star image. And Kaczynski like got that, and he makes Tom Cruise look so cool in that. But I mean, watching Maverick, Jennifer Connolly is one of those beautiful women in on the planet. Her and IMAX. It's it's like transcendent, like, full-on classic, like, Douglas Fairbanks, fucking Cary Grant-era cinema of big faces on screens, and it's, like, larger than life, right? Is that fair? Well, you know that she was my
0: number one crush growing up, right? I did
1: not, when but was, she was one of mine, too. Yeah, so.
0: like, no, she was my A number one, like, from... <laughs> God, career opportunities on. like just Rocketeer totally is knee-shaking yeah. for me. That's just like, I'm done. But
1: like.
0: I agree with you, and it's one of the things I do want to talk about when we actually get into Top Gun Maverick ex- itself later in the podcast is that I don't think anybody's really tapped into how good... Jennifer Connelly can be as a performer for a long time. Like Ron Howard, strangely enough, got it with like a beautiful mind. Yep. Other directors have tapped into it as well. And I mean, and remembering Fog,
1: she's great in. Yeah, it's
0: another good one. But that's different. That's again, Against type. like the yeah. the actorly Jennifer Connelly. But I'm talking about stretching back to like when even Sergio Leone was looking at her as a little girl and being like, "This is the Once pristine, time in America. Yeah. exactly image of perfection." you know Mm. like Kaczynski's doing the same thing or like Argento (laughs) made her the the phenomena yeah Yeah. made her his uh Alice and his demented Alice in Wonderland riff with phenomena so like he gets almost in a European sense how a movie star can embody a certain quality because only the brave is one of the best performances like of her career like Full stop. No qualifications needed. Like only the brave is like such a good, like just sturdy adult melodrama that we never get anymore. That I couldn't believe it. I watched it immediately, like a day or so after
1: we watched Top Gun: Maverick, and I was like, "Fuck, this movie's great." Yeah, I've been on a Kaczynski. I mean, like I so watching Tron Legacy, which has a has a messy script, and I really hate I hate all the. CGI face this is pre aging full-on CG face for um for the other ver- clue the version of Jeff uh, Bridge's character inside the the grid but as a visual filmmaker his first film Kaczynski knocked out of the park that film is like pretty pretty mind-blowing and not just like oh cool CG but like even the opening like, there's a scene that was stolen for the Batman with the motorcycle scene
0: <laughs> with yeah.
1: uh, it's full-on stolen with with uh, his son with Sam. Well, and the other thing it really begins is
0: Kaczynski's partnership with great musicians. Oh my God. Because you have Daft Punk writing the fucking music for Tron Legacy. Then you have M83 doing Oblivion. And then he literally brings everybody back for Top Gun Maverick and includes Lady Gaga. Of all people, like that's one of the things, again, when we get to Top Gun Maverick, the full segment on it itself is that like I think is one of the great genius moves of this movie is that like he again understands the representation of pop titans, like the things that just make up the way that we talk about. Uh, popular culture. Like again, Lady Gaga ones like at this point in your life, can you even remember the first time you heard Lady Gaga? I really can't because she's so stitched into the,
1: the strange fabric of our lives. She's like Beyonce, like super exactly. again, Yeah. Super or Madonna. Star. Yeah. Superstar level. Um, I would, I agree with you. And I think that, um, there's a, Again, we if you all can't tell, we're really excited to talk about Maverick because uh, we're like chomping at the bit. Yeah. We're just getting through the Tom Cruise part of this, yeah. this episode, which is which we both are fans of. But like, there's um, there's a majesty to Maverick and to every to all the ancillary characters that are tied to it that is just really kind of wonderful. Where it feels like, oh my god, it's a big fucking event.
0: Yeah, 100%. This is the first time. Well, actually no, it's funny. This is the second time in 2022 alone that it's felt like we were experiencing actual blockbusters from when we were kids in the 90s because between this and Ambulance, this is like the yes. year of
1: like Tony Scott nostalgia. No, I I was it was funny. I was talking to a buddy at work and he's a big Top Gun the original fan and he's 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 in his 40s like late 40s and um we had a, a, a promise to each other It's like look when the tickets go on sale for Maverick I'll tell you or you tell me because we were both just like chomping at the bit to, to see it and so he made it and I came after I saw the the screening on I was at the early screening on Tuesday last week and I came to work and I was like his name's Robbie I'm like Robbie it's like what I'm like Robbie it's like what I'm like Robbie, He's like, Oh, Top Gun. I'm like, yeah. He's like, how's it compared to Ambulance? Cause you kind of shit your pants for that too. And I was like, honestly, in it, it, one is obviously much bigger and much more again, majestic, but both gave me a feeling of, Oh man, I'm getting what I want from cinema again. And I hope this lasts forever. I know it won't. And because in between those two films, I saw multitudes of madness, which is complete fucking garbage, which I'll, you know, and it's, this is the antithesis of that. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up because
0: I had that thought last night uh, after my second viewing of Maverick, um, is I went to the Bob Bullock IMAX oh, theater, which is fuck. where you saw it twice as well. One of only 13 screens in the world, or of something, that of that size that uses actual laser projection and everything. Yo, it's insane! Like it's it it's it's looks so fucking good. But I had the same thought walking out that you did of like, man. When was, like, you know, the MCU has become such the predominant blockbuster mode and is now running out of gas to where, like, even its most fervent admirers
1: are, like... Me included.
0: Man, yeah. Are (laughs) like, man, what is this phase actually leading to? Because it's kind of stumbled along after, you know, the last Avengers movie and, and trying to regain its footing and really build towards another kind of event again. And, like, I, I, I don't think moving, not to get too far off the, the Maverick path, let's say, here. But, like, I don't think moving to the small screen so heavily, too, has really helped that to any degree. But it almost feels, in a weird way, like our biggest film, filmmakers are Michael Bay's and now our, our Joseph Kaczynski's. And then whoever follows in those footsteps, like... I wonder if 90s blockbuster, like handmade, wild Jerry Bruckheimer, Don Simpson kind of homages are almost like what takes the place of Marvel movies when they run out of gas completely to where we just cycle back to what we knew before. Like these almost like Irwin Allen influenced Masters of Disaster spectacle films that are made by actual craftsmen who aren't just relying on CGI totally, like they want, like you said, big faces on screens, movie stars, blustery performances, explosions, and just acts of, like, cinematic
1: trickery that we haven't seen in a long, long time. Yeah, the only other, you know, again, we talked about this during the John Wick episode, but I feel like the three modern um series that seem to work are john wick series mission impossible and fast and the furious and what fast and the furious is now is also falling into mcu-ness of you know uh, extensions of the of the the world more cg for me it's like i don't think people really realize that it's not about the characters honestly in Mission and sorry in um Fast and the Furious. And I love those movies. I adore them. It's the fact that they're doing real stunts. Like we need more movies like that, not more fast and the about, furious movies. Like that's the secret. You it's know? about cool cars going fast,
0: smashing through windows, and real stunt people like, or even real stunt coordinators like Spiro's Rosados, like just doing the damnedest
1: with the biggest budget possible. Yeah, I mean, because you know? like Fast Five is one of my favorite movies of like action movies of this century, too. That and like Fury Road, which we were talking about early before we were recording. That movie is just like action movie, just orgasms. Like every second, right. you're like, oh, hey, so we're going to strap a giant safe to the back of these two chargers and go through Rio and destroy everything. And they, in one scene, destroyed like 250 fucking cars. And it's like, that's what I want. It's bad on. boys two level of destruction. Exactly. So it's like those are. I think Justin Lin is another guy who is following in the Michael Bay, Tony Scott footsteps. Sad enough, he he pulled away from Part Ten of uh, Fast and Furious because it was Vin was being Vin, Vin, and showing up chubby and late. Um, and so well, I wonder if not that's big, actually going to turn out to be an. In- advantage
0: to us movie lovers and the fact that we actually might get a Justin Lin, like original again, please. Yeah. Like just unleash him. You know, he he's proven his chops. Like
1: just give him a fucking budget and let him go wild. You know, I think, and I think he has I me, mean, he has the bona fides obviously. And it's like, what else do you need to fucking see Hollywood before, just give that guy, and like even like there are parts I like Star Trek Beyond because like he brought that like real insane John Woo almost action to a Star Trek movie. You know, it also felt like a contained
0: episode, like it wasn't Very going so. for like the kind of big mythos and everything. Yeah. Like it just was like I'm gonna make this one story, and it's contained to this one film, and it, it felt like a throwback to. The actual series, like watching the original series or Next Generation or Deep Space Nine, you know, it's just he's a great filmmaker who just needs to leave
1: and thankfully did a franchise. I, I agree. And and you hired on, you know, Louis Leterrier, who is actually a solid filmmaker. No, he's not. I like him. Um No. <laughs> he's he's definitely a workman. He stands in. Yeah, he's bad at it, though. <laughs> Like, let's be clear. He's one of the worst directors of action I've ever seen. I guess Have you I watched his films. I've seen all of them. Yeah, they I, suck. The one I really like, though, I like. Now you see me the first one.
0: It's bad. <laughs> We're just going to, you know what? You know, didn't he do unleashed the one with Jeff? I like Lee? that one. That one's not bad. Yeah, I'll give you that one. But even the fights fucking suck. So here's my problem. You got Adkins in there too. Yeah. I mean, here's my problem with Lydia is that he comes from the green grass school of let's shoot action and then put it in a fucking Vitamix for some reason and just, you, here, audience, drink this sludge. And it's like, fuck you, dude. Like, I want to taste all of this. Like, it looks great. You have Jet fucking Lee and Jason Statham in your movies. And, like, I have to watch this hack to, like, shreds bullshit? No. No, thank you. <laughs>
1: we'll get we'll get back to uh to topic here but there are you know i think i think fast and furious is one of those series that is is continuing that too and um but again i want i don't want more of dom and his people i don't want taking it to space i'm like no just give me more you're done with family i, I yeah oh i'm very much done with that um <laughs> but it's the same thing as i like just just give me like fun like real action i mean we did a whole fucking episode on how need him that's the charm of Hal Needham movies. I mean, like, one of my favorite movies of his is Smokey and the Bandit. And that is because partly you have the, the movie star quality of Burt mixed with some insanely great stunts, right? I mean, like, that's all you kind of well, Hooper is, like, the ultimate. Right, too, right. To
0: where it's just like, we're going to highlight all the things that you like about these types of movies on this sort of budget, and it's just going to be... A total entertainment, you know? And it's about the making of these movies that you love. So let's get back to Tom Cruise. Let's go to the early years. What's your favorite of his from, let's say, Taps to Rain Man? Like the 80s. Shit. So you've got stuff like Taps, The Outsiders, Risky Business. Legend with the other Scott brother, all the right moves,
1: all the right moves, color of money cocktail. It's not my favorite cruise, but I love the outsider a lot. Sure. I I just rewatched that and that's Coppola. Um, I also just loved that book in middle school. Like, I love the kind of, like, greasers and socks thing. Sure. I love Rumblefish, which he did the same year. He did shot them back to back, and they're very different films. And one of my actually favorite Mickey Rourke performances was Rumblefish. The black um, and white cinematography in Rumblefish is ridiculous. It's gorgeous. And it's funny, you, have, you know, you have, you know, <laughs> I feel like people have figured out that, make your world looks great in black and white. It's like very similar to sin city because you have like black and white plus like color. Like there's a colored, um, like goldfish in that awesome scene, um, in rumble fish. But no, I would outsiders. But I mean like top gun, honestly, probably was in terms of where I was then and where I am now. Um, I have a friend, my friend, Justin, who I've mentioned before is where I saw all the original slashers. Was it his mom? and remember whatever we wanted, Justin Edwards. And, um, we saw it. Welcome to Spring Break, Nightmare Beach for the first time together, and Silver Party Massacre, and but Top Gun's his favorite movie, and he watched it so many times that he burned a line through the VHS. Like I would come over, it was like uh, Will Ferrell and the Tim and Eric movies. Like you want to watch Top Gun, and it was on like constantly, <laughs> and he had like a CD just playing. Like and I, I texted him last week, I'm like, dude, seeing Top Gun this week, and he's like. I can't think straight. I just that's all I can think about. He's like a dad. He's like married to the job and now all I can think about is Top Gun too. I'm like respect. It's the only thing on my mind is Maverick. Besides Pete Mitchell, the, the safety of my child, and then no, that ranks second. How about How you? How do you feel about Legend? I haven't seen it in a while. Um, I watched it last year when that Arrow Blue came out. I, and I, I. You get the 4K, right? The 4K blue and that. So I haven't watched it probably in five years. Um, Tom Cruise, his teeth have never looked worse. I think There's some jagged motherfuckers in there. And it's still, he has like his, even in Maverick, his teeth are like to the side. But he had all that Invisalign shit. Yeah, but in Legend, he looks like Austin Powers. He looks real bad. Um, It's funny because I rewatched Blade Runner like two weekends ago for like the millionth time. And I, there's a lot of scenes with the little people out in the street, like, scavenging. And I, you can see, like, that Ridley got stuck on, like, a little person mode. Almost like Terry... I'm G- real into this. Like Terry Gilliam mode of, like, of, like Time Bandits. Like, that feel. Oh, yeah. And he rolled with it. There's And I love Tangerine Dream. We both love Tangerine Dream. And I love Brian Ferry. So there's a lot of elements to legend that I adore. But as a movie, I think... It's, and also Tim Curry. He's fan- he's fantastic. It's a kind of a shitty fucking movie, though. I don't Man, like it. Man, I... <laughs>
0: I watched that 4K, and it was like nails on a chalkboard. Mm. Like, production design-wise, incredible. It's gorgeous. Score-wise, incredible. Tim Curry looks great as Darkness. Let me tell you, everything else just made me want to kill myself. It's ass. It's real bad. It sucks, dude. (laughs) And I love you, Ridley, wherever you are. And I know that you're listening to this podcast right now. But, like, dude, Legend fucking <laughs> blows. And Tom Cruise is one of the reasons for it. Like, he's so he's bad. real at it. bad. And he's just got his fucking weird nymph thing going on. And I... And, and, no, thank you, sir. I would go with Color of Money. I knew you were do as, that. Yeah. I mean... I'm not surprised. He's so good as the young hotshot. Like, that whole, like, Werewolves of London scene is obviously amazing. But I also like it as like a Paul Newman comeback vehicle because he's. Maverick is, it's a. And that's where I was going with this. Sorry to cut you off. Is that it was like, yeah, like you see a lot of color of money in Maverick because like Maverick becomes almost to a certain degree a referendum on Tom Cruise's career. mm -hmm. If you watch close enough because you have elements of uh, color of money. And then in all the penny. And uh, Pete scenes, you have some Jerry Maguire going on, a lot of like romantic lead stuff happening, and then just a lot of reflection over the rest of his career, which brings me to the 90s. So you got a few good men, Far and Away, Days of Thunder. Mission Impossible interview with a vampire, which we haven't even touched upon yet. I really like that movie because I can't believe anybody gave Neil Jordan the keys to the blockbuster kingdom. They're like, hey, weirdo Irish filmmaker, come here for a second. We love you making the gayest (laughs) motherfucking vampire movie of all time. We really want that. I remember when that movie came out, and like half the critics I read were just completely befuddled. And I was like, 11 or 12 years old and was like, I have to see, see this in the like movie theater immediately and totally dead. But then you got like Jerry Maguire eyes wide shut Magnolia. And then like mission impossible two is 2000, which is where it ends. I feel like this kind of like David Cronenberg's nineties are one of the strangest, most experimental periods because like he's really jumping around and giving a lot of very again, like actorly performances with like autorist filmmakers.
1: So what's my favorite out of that group? Sure. Fuck, that's a tough one. And that's a good group of movies too. Yeah. Like that's honestly. So like I was similarly I was obsessed with Interview with the Vampire. Because it was like it came out in ninety-three. Um Is that right? Ninety four. Ninety four. Okay. I was so excited for that because I was into horror already and i was like oh this is this like i never read any Anne rice i'm fucking like 11 you know but i was obsessed with the idea of like these vampire narratives um and <laughs> just these like big and first time i saw that holy shit like it is so good like all the the new orleans and the past stuff is like amazing like brad pitt it's a Raid in it, like Kirsten Dunst, like she like yeah. became a star. Antonio Banderas. Antonio Banderas as Armand. Um, and then um, Stephen Re- Steven Rea, one of the best death scenes where he gets slit like, up way with the scythe and just like, comes down in half.
0: Which if you saw it on 35mm was much more graphic than when it came out on VHS. No way. Like it felt edited. Ooh. Or at least, or maybe my childhood memory of it was just so vivid seeing it on the big screen that like when I saw it on VHS I was like, Oh, this feels cut or blah blah blah, and it was just your, my mind playing tricks on me, but it felt much more graphic in the theaters and
1: trimmed down on the actual video release. Yeah, um, honestly, I like all those films. Um, I really like The Firm a lot. Um, I like Grisham, like good Grisham, the thrillers, I think Cruise awesome. Yeah, in um, The Firm. Out of this group, though, Mission Impossible 2. I mean, we've talked well, before. Yeah, okay, we'll we'll count that. If as we this. count it. Yeah. That, that or one or two. I mean, I was really excited for both of those. Um, so I saw every yeah. Tom Cruise movie from the firm
0: on in theaters. So I have a couple different favorites. Interview with the Vampire for a lot of the reasons you're talking about. Mission Impossible because it was like, I think began my love affair with Brian De Palma at a very oh, young age. that's cool. And then Jerry Maguire, because it was one of the first times I got my dick sucked in a movie
1: theater. What? I've never had that happen. I'm 38. Yeah? It's never happened. I tell big, you, I was 14. My friend sat next to someone jerking off during Solo.
0: Yeah, I caught some <laughs> kids jerking off when I was a manager at a movie theater. I had, okay, Not <laughs> really open to a can of worms here, but like, um, so. New,
1: new topic. Yeah.
0: I had a, a, a very distraught uh, mother come out of a theater. I, I worked in, in Paoli, Pennsylvania at a nine screen United Artists as a projectionist and a manager. And it was like, I was one of the only people on shift because it was like a Tuesday or Wednesday and nobody else was working there. So you cut everybody in. it's just like you and another box office girl or right. something. And like, so this woman comes out and she's, Losing her fucking mind, like almost like in tears, just can't believe what she just saw. And she comes up to me and she's like, I'm like, oh, what's wrong, ma'am? And she's like, I, 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 I can't believe what is happening. There are, there are these kids. I'm like, oh, there's kids. What are they making out? No, they're, they're having sex. And I was like, sex? Like full on sex? Are we talking blowjob? Like, what's I didn't say this, but in my head, like, that's what I need you to narrow this down for me, miss. I was like, oh, ma'am, are they, are they like really like fornicating? Which is the actual word that I use because I'm like 20 at this point. (laughs) It's very, very professional. Yeah. I'm like,
1: fornicating?
0: And they're like, (laughs) and she's like, she's like, yes, they're having sex across the seats. And I was like, all right, I'll check it out. And then, so she, you know, I go, if you want, go to the box office, get a refund. I'll go make sure like anything else doesn't happen, but you know, whatever. And she's like, I am leaving. And I'm like, all right. So she goes and gets a refund and I go in and like, it's dark as fuck as, you know, a Theater movie is. theaters usually are. And I'm like looking up the aisle cause it's not one of the big ones. It's only one of the houses that only has like, 80 or 90 seats in it, and it's right. still stadium seating. So you're peering over the side of one of those ledges, like trying to make out anything. I'm like, I don't fucking see anything. Like, I don't know what this lady's talking about. They're probably just two kids making out, blah, blah, blah. And she got offended because she's like real into Jesus or whatever. But then a huge light went on the scene, like a daytime scene went on. And then two rows up, there they were. Two kids, couldn't have been more than 15, sprawled across two seats full on thrusting fucking pants down. I saw bare 15 year old ass. And I went, Oh boy. I walked straight out of that theater and I got on my radio and I went, Hey man, to the general manager who was the only other manager there. Not my job. I was like, Hey Pete, uh, I'm going to need you to come down to theater seven. There's some stuff going on. I'll fill you in when you get down here. Uh, It's an emergency so there we go
1: did I tell you about my friend real quick who he's a bartender and comfortable fucking at his bar at oh my, on a really we, on a Wednesday good for him so he's just sitting there and he's making drinks and he looks across the bar and um there's this girl's skirt and she's just sitting on this guy's lap and she's going kind of up and down and he's like oh shit they're fucking and my buddy buddy's like hey this is no nonsense bartenders He's done it for like 20 years he's like you guys gotta get the fuck out of here and the guy's like what <laughs> And he's like, "What do you mean?" And he's like, "You're fucking her right now." He's like, "No, no, no, I'm not." He's like, "You're inside her. I can see it. You can't." It's Wednesday. Like, you (laughs) gotta go home. And the guy was like, "Of course, they were super drunk. Four
0: more shifts this week. Yeah."
1: She was. They were super drunk, and I guess they they came back the next day and they were like super apologetic. And they're like, "We were blackout. I bet that tip was great. Oh yeah. I think they tipped him like." Like four hundred dollars because they were so embarrassed. They're also glad that he didn't call the cops, which he totally could have. But yeah, but he would have
0: been a narc then. Yeah, just exactly. Not, not good. For and him. That four hundred
1: dollars, real nice.
0: Yeah. <laughs> so the my favorite out of all. <laughs> Sorry, apologize. To Where our we go? <laughs> What's happening here? <laughs> so my favorite out of all of these is definitely Magnolia. I mean, we've done a whole episode on Obviously, it. Yeah. Like it's just, I think, again, the apex. Between that and, uh, you know, Eyes Wide Shut, you have the apex of Tom Cruise's real, like, exploratory portion of his career where he's like, I'm going to let, like, true artists fuck with my image a little bit and kind of use me as a puppet in their own kind of games. And, like, you know, I love listening to Paul Thomas Anderson talk about working with Tom Cruise because he's like, I love Tom Cruise. Like I just had this part and I wrote it for him. And the fact that they wanted to work together and Tom Cruise even saw Boogie Nights and was like, yeah, I want to be in that guy's fucking movie. Like it again shows that he just had great taste in filmmakers and in creators and like it would just continue throughout the rest of his career.
1: Yeah. I I saw my buddy Bo about this and he's a, he, we were talking about just like the last movie star that is Tom Cruise and his wish is that we get an era of that. Before, after what we have now, as much as I'm loving and I want like, you know, 10 more Mission Impossibles, I'm excited. But like, sure, he's almost 60 or he's like 60, you know, he's in his 60s now. So it's like, eventually he's not going to do this anymore. It's like, I'd love to see you do go back and find some really interesting young directors or go back to Spielberg, you know, and like do something together. I, I would be very excited to see that. So
0: 2000, which you've already claimed as Mission Impossible 2. So we'll go to oh one. Okay. As the next kind of run, so you have Vanilla Sky, Minority Report. I don't remember him in Austin Powers Gold Member.
1: Is that just a one-off joke? It's he's. I think he plays Austin Powers or something like that. He plays oh, himself he or play, famous Austin. Yeah, he plays Austin Powers in the making of an Austin Powers movie.
0: I don't remember uh, yeah, that movie it's at pretty, all.
1: It's pretty bad. Last Samurai,
0: also, which is a movie. Uh, collateral, War of the Worlds. Mission Impossible 3, Lions for Lambs, Tropic Thunder. (laughs)
1: That's great.
0: Which we'll have to talk about. Valkyrie, Night and Day. Um, Oh, Night and Day's pretty good, man. I don't like it. Um, Oh, come on. It's it's
1: one of Mangold's worst. No. I mean, that and serendipity. Um, Jesus. But, okay, so... This is this is tough. Um,
0: There's a. This is weird because this is the dark quote unquote period of Tom Cruise to where you have the couch jumping, you have Katie Holmes, you have all the shit to where like, I mean like if I I had to actually talk my parents into wanting to go see a Tom Cruise movie at this point because my dad was like. The fuck that fucking weirdo! He's not even a good actor. Like that's the same. My dad hates him. Yeah, Still. like it's not a thing. Like I know. Whenever I talk to my parents next and tell them, like, "Hey, Top Gun Maverick, pretty fucking great." My dad's gonna go get the fuck out of here.
1: My dad was very resistant. I've talked to him twice yeah, about like, seeing it. I am like he's like, "You seen it again?" I'm like, "Yep." He goes, "That's great." He's like, "I heard." He goes, "The reviews are good." He's like, oh "He goes, the Rotten Tomatoes score is good." I'm like, "Okay, dad." Um, and I'm like, "You." I was like, it's really good. And that's I, such I, a dad thing to say, too. Right. I always have to like qualify. On Facebook, <laughs> one of my coworkers was really into this. So for me, it's pretty close between Minority Report and Collateral. So that's pre couch jumping. Yeah, mine's uh, Collateral. I watched Minority Report last weekend just because getting prepped for this and also just being in a cruise mood. Man, that was fucking awesome. Like, that is great later Spielberg. It fucking rules. The action's great. The script's great. Um, fucking Scott Frank wrote that um, based on, obviously, Philip K. Dick's short story or his novella. I I think it's really cool. Like Janice Kaminsky does some crazy photography, and Crew's a movie star, and he's a full-on... Colin Farrell, too. Colin Farrell, young Colin Farrell, um, is great in it. Uh, Max Van said, out great as the villain. But then, I mean, Collateral, we, you know, he's top... He's my favorite director, Michael Mann. And I think he does some really interesting stuff with Cruz. I um, remember building that print at the same oh, theater. I you just must mentioned. have been shitting your yeah, pants, dude. Couldn't wait. I was so, I would become a Mann fan like two or three years earlier. I had not really who he was. We talked about this before, obviously, in our other Mann episodes. But I went to like, I was so excited. Huge screen at Easton Park Mall in uh, Columbus, Ohio, Had a big group of people like, guys, this is the movie. This is the movie. And I was doing summer research at Denison when I was still in college. And that movie, man, I was so, I loved it. Cruise is like perfect for it because like man knew how to play with his blankness a little bit. Like there's a little bit of like that sociopathic sense that is in Cruise. And I think man was like, I want to roll with that. And he, and he, wouldn't you agree a little bit?
0: Oh Yeah. Yeah, I well, mean yeah. Vincent is one of the great Michael Mann characters of
1: all time. Even though he didn't write it, it's like it's a Michael Mann character. You yeah, know? no, yeah. he changes it into what he wants it to be. Yes, hundred percent.
0: So, I mean, out of these, how do you feel
1: about Tropic Thunder? So I rewatched it recently. It was it was on streaming, like a free pl- a platform I have. I didn't laugh once in the theater. Um, I felt that's like, deranged. No, are I, you serious? Yeah, no, I didn't. It. I saw my brother, I think I just moved. I just moved to Atlanta. I didn't dislike the movie, but for some reason it didn't connect with me. Um, but I watched it again recently and I did laugh. So it, I, it hit me this time. You just, uh, Jacob's no. shaking his head at me right now. Um, I saw I this love with crew. my ex wife so many times. Like, I think we saw it
0: six <laughs> times in the theater and we would just like scream, <laughs> dude, we would scream shit. Like I'm gonna put tiger bomb on this jungle's nuts. <laughs> Like, that's one of the most quotable, ridiculous films I don't think you could actually make now. Oh, it's a
1: it's a yeah. diamond in the rough. I mean, like, the Robert Downey
0: Jr. performance alone doesn't lend
1: itself to ever being produced again. Did you see the the Oscars where Kiwi Goody Jr. was presenting? Yeah. Or he was just like, looks, Robert Downey Jr. straight and he goes, what the fuck were you thinking? Yeah. And he's like, not joking. <laughs> it's straight up like, what were you? You know, the Oscars hired, you know, they're like, oh, Cuba, you're going to be the one to present the possibility of him getting an Oscar. And he was like, I'm going to look him in the eye and be like, what? <laughs> what is this? To bring it back to Jerry Maguire. <laughs> yeah,
0: exactly. <laughs> no, but I, I love that. And I love uh, Les Grossman as a character. He's, I think He's it's, great. A lot of people now, I was listening to another podcast that was trying to do a Tom Cruise Hall of Fame. Mm-hmm. And they... Talked about Tropic Thunder and kind of, they said it was really funny, but they were also like, oh, this really felt like Tom Cruise doing the hello fellow kids thing with, with Grossman and like appearing on the VMAs and all that stuff. And like, I saw the argument, but I was like, right, but the joke is good. So, like, does any of that matter? Like, it's almost like they recognize that, like, hey, we struck gold with just getting Tom Cruise to come in bald and playing Joel
1: Silver, you know? there's. It's funny because um, Ben Stiller really, I think, helped Cruise in the early 2000s and then he yeah. came back to help him after the couch jump because it's a great special feature on um, the Mission Impossible 2 DVD where it's uh, it, was, it was also an MTV thing where it was... His stuntman played by Ben Stiller. And it's this whole joke thing where Ben Stiller is being like, you gotta do that, that Tom Cruise smile and the, you gotta get the Tom Cruise laugh down. It's like him totally sending up his friend, but they were really kind of codifying like what we know of his cruise, but also saying, but also we all like this. And yeah. I, mean, I think bringing him back in that kind of the doldrums of the late 2000s, of like 2005 after the jump to, you know, for me, I did, he didn't come back fully until um, Mission Impossible Ghost Protocol, which just blew the fuck up. Well, and let's get to that, because to me, that's the rehabilitation yes. period.
0: To where you have Ghost Protocol, Rock of Ages, unfortunately, Jack Reacher, Oblivion, Edge of Tomorrow, fuck. Rogue Nation, Jack Reacher, Never Go Back. So we were wrong. It's never. It's not Never Look Back, well, it's I hate Never it. Go Back. I hate it so much that I don't know the title. I still, you know what, whatever. <laughs> the Mummy, oh. American made fallout and then maverick.
1: So this is, this one's really hard. This is the hardest one. Um, I can, I can easily pick the ones I don't like, you know, out of there. Um, fuck. It's really tough. I mean, I know it's not mummy, which I don't actually hate, because um, I think Cruz is good in it. There's actually a couple cool set pieces, so it's like, all right, that's fine. It's um, not as bad as what people make it out to at be. All. At that, on that same. Hall of
0: Fame episode, they were talking about how the mummy's unwatchable. And no, I like, fuck that. Really? I, I thought it was totally watchable. Like, that whole plane jump sequence and everything is pretty cool. Like, I don't know. Not a good movie, but I'm not gonna sit here and tell you that I didn't find
1: things to be entertained by in it. Yeah, the Indiana Jonesy stuff early with Jake Johnson is super fun. I'm like, I'd watch that as a fucking movie. Just them, like, breaking into old crypts and, and like, being getting yeah. curses out. Um... Fuck! It's really hard. I rock mean, of Ages, isn't it? It's Rock of Ages. So, Mission Impossible Four was the one that was like, "Oh man, he's back!" And that I saw. That, I saw that in IMAX as well. My friend had a like an early screening pass. He invited me to.
0: See, I got more of a vibe from Rogue Nation and Fallout with that, to where like Ghost Protocol. It was back. It was a big hit, and you have the Burj Khalifa stunt, like you mentioned earlier. But it still felt like. Less of a Tom Cruise movie because of the passing of the baton you have element Paula Patton to a it. A
1: character, yeah, you like have it. it Renner.
0: I don't know. Like it, it. I to me, Rogue Nation was the one to where it felt cool to be like Tom Cruise.
1: I'm into him. So uh, that's that is like, like while you're. That's my final answer is Rogue Nation. I, I that was a movie I saw. Not Fallout. Of, not Fallout. So Fallout has better action, and it's it's insane. 100%. It's insane. I love what I like about Rogue Nation is it's the mix of De Palma's Mission Impossible with big action. There's there's a, there's a couple more like espionage scenes. Well, and Rebecca Ferguson. and Rebecca Ferguson, who is my you said Jennifer Connelly was your number one growing up. Rebecca Ferguson as a thirty eight year old is my. I mean, she's tie. she's high up there. She's just gorgeous, and and she's a just fantastic performer, and I love her as, as Ilsa Faust, um, a great addition to sure. to the the. The characters, Mission Impossible franchise. So I, Rogue Nation, and it's not the crazy stunts; it's that it's actually got some really cool character stuff. Also, Rogue Nation is the one that asks the question. It does have a little bit of you know eating, having his cake and eat it too. Of, sure. Hey, like we can't win every time. Like that's the theme of that movie, right? Is like that the sense of like we're betting, we're betting, we're rolling the dice every single time, and we and but he still wins. Um, but I like that theme. It's asking the question of like you can't be the hero every time. Like you're gonna lose. Um, I mean, Fallout though, in terms of action, I just rewatched it t- a week and a half ago in 4K. And it's all IMAX. It's just like that movie's fucking nuts. Um, it's crazy. What do you think of American Made? You know, I actually, never saw it. I feel like an asshole. I never. I,
0: I, I it's skipped. pretty good. Yeah, I and mean, I like. It's Lyman. a weird yeah. movie because like he's kind of an unlikable asshole in it. And if you've even seen, like, Narcos or any documentary yeah. about, like, that era of drug smuggling, like you already know Barry Seal's story. But, mm-hmm. like, I actually think it's not a bad... It's totally watchable. Let's say in the same league of, like, blow. I'm not going to tell you it's good, <laughs> fellas. But if you threw it on and we were just drinking some beers and,
1: like, bullshitting over it, like, I would be like, yeah, it's fine. Yeah, it's solid. Well, because there's... um. I really again. I love Oblivion. It's one of my favorites, and I like Edge of Tomorrow a lot. Um, I really like that movie. I don't I, love that as much as everyone else does. I just I love the action. I love the you know the Groundhog Day narrative with with sci fi action. I love the mech suits. Um, the original title for that was All You Need Is Kill. I was the name of like the yeah. Graphic, which I was like that's fucking cool. And then they would like, say Edge of Tomorrow, and then Live Die Repeat, which is not the title. Everyone. <laughs> yeah, everyone it, keeps
0: like <laughs> claiming that it went through title changes. No, it's like, no, it's Edge of Tomorrow. They just that's put the "Live tag Die line. Repeat" on the Blu Ray real big, and everybody got confused and was like, "Oh, did they change the name?" It's like, no, they didn't. It still says Edge of Tomorrow. It's the, the title
1: of the movie, and I've had like arguments with people. I'm like, they're like, no, no, no. I'm like, no, Absolutely that's the tagline. <laughs> but I really like that movie a lot. It's um, like the people who call Die Hard 2 Die Harder. You're like, that's not the name of the movie. There was one other one like that where... um, Oh, The Witch, where people will put the two Vs. I'm like, that was just the type they were doing to make it look old-timey. You a marketing ho, son. It's just Witch. It's The Witch.
0: So, I know you wanted to avoid it, but I'm going to bring it up anyway. When did Tom Cruise go clear?
1: And when did the movies reflect it, you think? (laughs) So I actually read. I've read way too much about Scientology. I know I, that's I, why I'm I,
0: asking I, this question. Um,
1: so, um,
0: <laughs> you're like rubbing your hands together, like you're nervous. No, no, no,
1: no. It's like where to begin. I, I, I'm, I'm pontificating. Um, so he has an interesting history with Scientology, where sure. his, his wife at the time, or girlfriend who became wife, Mimi Rogers, introduced him to it in 86, which is a huge year for him with the premiere of Top Gun. So Top Gun is like the beginning of Scientology for Tom Cruise. Yeah, that's why I bring this up. Yeah, so he gets involved, um, and that's right when uh, L. Ron Hubbard died. Um, was it was eighty six as well? Like he, I don't think he ever got to meet him. I think he joined right after he had passed away. And, I think that's true. And yeah. then David Miscavige, who's now the, the the leader and of of Scientology, who was part of Sea Org, which is the what the organization on really Scientology. Um, Miscavige is a very um a scary a scary person. Um, and Let's go deep state, Martin. Yeah. So, um. Cruz was a, was a member and he was involved and, and they were trying to play him up, but Cruz was always very kind of tight-lipped about it. And after he um after he and Mimi broke up, I think it was I think it was when he started to see Nicole Kibbins. So that was like ninety when they did or ninety-two. Is that far and away? Well they m- right. Well they met on Days of Thunder. Oh, that's right. No, that's nineteen ninety then. It's ninety. So they and then Nicole Kidman was like cool with it at first, but she's also strict Roman Catholic from her background. Um, and they had adopted the kids. And Cruz, the more that uh, Nicole soured on Scientology, he moved further and further away. So for a few years there, he was completely almost out of the church. Like he would go to a couple events, um, and Muskevich worked to kind of bring him back into the fold. Um, and it was 04... But no, it might have been 08. He did a um, Miscavige to kind of keep him, because he realized that when Cruz was part of the church, it was better for everybody. Like, it was, he's the, Travolta did not nearly reach the level of fandom that Cruz has. Yeah, Um, no. And there are other people like Will Smith, who's been there, and like, obviously, Elizabeth Moss was born um, a Scientologist. Beck. Beck. Obviously, Leah Romini, who left the church and is now, you know, released, episodes of tv about her journey and leaving it and been very vocal um but you know Cruz kind of like the cat out of the bag with craziness um with the couch jump I and mean, that is like that is the definition of uh showing who you really are um and showing what Scientology really is and then 08 he was given a, a really crazy like, this freedom medal award from David Muskevich, and the video leaked of this like Beginning, um, like nine minute thing that Miscavige's people had edited about Cruz's career, but interviews him about what Scientology means to him. And it's crackers. It's full on, like behind the curtain, batshit crazy. Um, it was that it was during that time as well. After Katie Holmes left him with Siri, his daughter, cause she soured on the church as well, that they found a girlfriend, basically built a girlfriend for Tom Cruise. Um, they were auditioning women to be his next girlfriend, Miscavige, found a person they dated for 4 months and then she offended Miscavige because she couldn't understand his New Jersey accent um and she was never seen they rock
0: hudson that motherfucker
1: they, yes um and then Miscavige's wife disappeared has never been seen and she's probably been murdered um uh, <laughs> and um it's there's some it's a really and and that's honestly the one we're only tip of the iceberg here too yeah it's uh one of the, the articles I read today, there's there's a Daily Beast author who is a Scientologist, like he's their consultant. Um, he's written a lot of copy about Scientology. Yeah. He has connections with ex-members who've interviewed with him, and he really knows. I mean, um, for what I'm saying is I'm just I'm just saying things that I saw and like going you know going clear in other documentaries and the Lee Ramini um, documentary as well, is that Cruz is he can do what he wants. He's not involved. As, like, he is not a church leader at all. Um, but he keeping him happy keeps the church happy. Um, and this article today was talking about a success for Cruz's success for Scientology. Um, and the guy was talking about the James Corden interview last week where where he took James Corden flying. It was similar to he did a, um, uh, a skydive jump for Fallout. Where it's like, hey, I'm going to show you what it's like to be me. Um, and Cruz very charmingly takes him up in his Spitfire, his must his, his Mustang um, in this one, and is like, hey. And it's it's very it's very choreographed and very uh, scripted out. It's charming, but it shows Cruz to be this cooler than cool. He's Maverick in real life. Um, that's the part I have trouble with is just that he's part of an organization that enslaves kids and like people are trapped in trailers. It's a really scary. Really, it's it's not cute. It's a very fucked up organization. I guess my question.
2: <laughs> Sorry, I'm glad that you went on that. I, I, I because apologize. It was great,
1: <laughs> but I think my
0: question was more along the lines of: I do believe the movies in the late period start to reflect because, like, his persona changes, right? It's Ghost Protocol, to where you go it's from like the young hotshot, like hungry, like movie star, to like the experimental funny, charming movie star who's, like, allowing guys and these auteurs to really kind of mold his image and play with it to where, like, in this late period, it almost has become about how, like, Tom Cruise is the savior of X. You know what I'm saying? No Yes. And, like, does that start with Ghost Protocol? I think that was... Even though the handoff stuff is going on? Like, I'm, I'm being honest. Like, I, I always mark Rogue Nation more as the going clear movie.
1: I, I think... Or maybe I The think, Mummy? I think they were testing it out with Ghost Protocol. And they were like, we're going to try this stuff. But, yeah, by the time you hit Rogue Nation, um, and then you hit... um. I mean, Fallout is like really, is really extreme where- And Maverick is too. They're both, they both, those are like, they take it to the limit. So I'm not sure it's like the, like the milestone or like the turning point, but they're pretty blatant. Um, And Fallout in the end, he saved the day, he saved the fucking planet and he's lying in this hospital bed um, and he's talking to Michelle Monaghan, who's his ex-wife who had to leave him because she couldn't be part of his crazy world. But she says, I love my life, and I love that you're out there protecting my world. And there's an earlier scene, too, where Ving Rhames says "Like he's the greatest man I've ever met. And it's this really, like, Ethan Hawke is just Tom Cruise. And Maverick is a little interesting because he's trying to play a part he played 36 years ago, or at the, when they made it 33 years ago. And he has to play a little bit more of that younger hotshot thing, which he's kind of left behind um, an aged version of that. But there's also that sense. There's that scene with Iceman, which we'll talk about later, but where it's like the Navy needs you, the Navy needs Maverick. And there's these moments of like, you're the only one who can do this. You're the only one who can save the day. And that is very, and of course I don't want to go too far with this because it's also just like action filmmaking. Like there is a sense, but this, but it is a cruise thing of like, it's him saving the world. Well, and like constantly. even edge t- tomorrow with him transcending death itself, oblivion. And, in the end yeah. They're like, welcome back commander. That's very Scientologist where he's yeah. he's realized who he was, you know? And it's like, now that he knows his past life, which is Scientology, you're remembering your past lives, your, your thousands of past lives to defeat Lord Xenu. Um, that's not bullshit. <laughs> it's, yeah. Right. It's crackers. Um, um, to quote, you know, uh, Tom Segura is like, "I don't care what religion you are, you're Scientologist. You can go fuck yourself." <laughs> and uh, I agree with that.
0: So, you want to get into Top Gun Maverick? One hundred percent. All right. Maverick Martin, we're just gonna throw this to you right out the gate. What was your first impression on your first viewing this
1: weekend? Um, I love this movie so much. I it's been a while since I walked out of a theater just jazzed like by an action movie, and only an action movie can do that. Like, we all know I love horror and I love a good horror movie, but leaving an action film a big summer blockbuster, I think back to like. We had a cabin in Wisconsin, and my dad would drive us, which was like a 30-minute drive to the theater, and we would always just long drive back through, like, the woods of Wisconsin after a really good one. Like, after I saw Last Crusade, after I saw The Fugitive, after I saw um, Con Air or Face Off. It was always just, like, that just digestion of, like, I just saw something really special even compared to the Batman, which is an IP that I really love, um, I did not have experience with the Batman. I was intellectually like, oh, I really like that a lot. This one though, just especially the last 40 minutes, like you te- you saw it a day before I did, and you're like, I have some questions or things I want to talk about, but the last 40 minutes is perfection is what you said. I would agree. Yeah. I feel this it's cliche. It's it is the ultimate roller coaster movie. I mean, like, especially seeing IMAX It is a visual feast. It is just, I was clenching my fists and asshole for the last 40 minutes, both times I saw it. Um, I just, it just gave me what I wanted, you know? Um, And it had great melodrama too. I was involved, I was teary eyed. Um, I just, I really like it a lot. (laughs) I just, I was really, I was really pleased with it. See, I had reservations. Let's say,
0: like you called them questions. I do have some questions about the storytelling in the movie itself, but I had reservations after the first viewing because like to be honest, like a bunch of people in my Twitter feed had seen it like a week or two or whatever before and were already praising it as like a masterpiece. I'm like, all right. Like it it put me in a negative state of mind going in of being like, Is this really that good, guys? The, the bandwagon exactly. mentality. Yeah. And to be honest, the action stuff in it, I was like, shit, this is like as good as this type of thing gets, you know, Mission like, Impossible, period. Fallout, good, like Fury Road, it good, has Fury good, yeah, Fury Road good, like it has the same vibe of like, let's watch a movie star pull off the most impossible bullshit that he can think of and like spend all of the studio's money in order to accomplish it because they know, million. yeah, they're betting on a guy that's just gonna bring it all back and then some. So I loved all that. I did have questions about the movie storytelling because, to be frank, the first film it made made me think of was The Force Awakens because it does take the same formula of like here's a movie you're already familiar with right down to the opening, like using the same exact title card as the first movie, almost the same, same exact, like the song, the Harold Faltermeyer like theme Hans Zimmer coming in with the guitar, the aircraft carrier. Like it was just like, here danger it is. Zone. This yep. you're bat. Yeah. It ends with danger zone. It almost that first, like, it can't be more than two to three minutes long. But that first little section feels almost like a previously on, like, kind of bit that you would cut for a TV show in between seasons. Only here you're, like, what, 36 years removed? So it's, like, it, it's almost like being, like, hey, you know, this is the Top Gun universe. You know what this fucking is, right? And then it dives into the movie itself with, with uh, Pete, Maverick. Being the, the test pilot for this supersonic aircraft and like just kind of showing you where he is in his life now. But then it takes the beats of the original 86 Top Gun and like just redoes it with new characters and brings back the legacy character with Pete Mitchell and then with also with Penny, uh, the Admiral's daughter, who's really just a throwaway joke. In the first film, yeah. like literally like what two lines of dialogue, because like you have the the dress down moment right, where James, he gets yelled name? at. And yeah, exactly. And then I believe Meg Ryan says her name again with, um, with Charlie because she's joking Penny, about it. It's not Penny Bradshaw, Penny Benjamin, Penny Benjamin. Yeah. Too many B names in this fucking thing. Um, because that's the other thing is that like, Tom Cruise kept calling uh, Rooster Bradley. And I was like, is his name really Bradley Bradshaw? Julia Guglia. Julia <laughs> Goulia. Um, But it was like, it takes the formula of Top Gun and it's just like, here's the legacy characters. Here's the new characters. Here's basically the same exact plot. Because the other thing it, it, it did make me think about that I had never considered before is like, how much of Top Gun is almost like a sports movie to a certain degree Mm -hmm. Um, to where it's all about, here's the new trainees trying to make it to the major leagues. Here's their, their rigorous program. Here's the, they're they're trying to make the cut. Like it's almost like the money ball sequences of like, like realizing like when you're going to get cut from the Oakland A's, like here, it's just from Top Gun, you know, like, and Top Gun Maverick brings that back because again, you mentioned in the first segment Of like the color of money. Like here Tom Cruise is playing the Paul Newman character coming back and mentoring a bunch of young Turks trying to come up. But each of these young Turks, particularly two, are playing the same exact characters from the first one. Because you have Glenn Powell doing Iceman. Iceman. Hangman Iceman. He's literally called Hangman. Like it was like, they were like, they'll get it. We're not going to put a whole lot of thought into it. And then fucking Miles Teller is Rooster. Goose's son. They're both birds. Like they couldn't, you know, it's, it, it's, it's doing the thing very plainly of like, you've seen this other movie. Now you're going to watch this one.
1: And it's the same fucking movie, but like it has different ideas. You raised a question. Um, after you had, we had both seen it uh, almost a week ago now um, about why do we praise a film like Maverick and we dog on a film like Ghostbusters Afterlife or something people go Dog on Force Awakens, right? Um, Which, to be fair, both movies are on different
0: ends of the qualitative spectrum. Top Gun Maverick, even with all my storytelling reservations, fucking great movie. Ghostbusters Afterlife, dog shit. For the most part, like there's some interesting, funny stuff in it. I like Paul Rudd. The kids are okay. It's really well filmed and well crafted by Jason <laughs> Reitman. Yeah, like looks good, but like it plays on all the nostalgia buttons and very little more.
1: Yeah, it's um, it's Stranger Things, Ghostbusters. I mean, right, like, obviously exactly. Been Wolfhards in it, but also young kids and and um, giant plot holes of the fact that you know a, a the Statue of Liberty walked through downtown New York, but it's a rumor. Yeah, it was like 20 years ago. It fucking happened. Like, just go on, you know, <laughs> there's footage out there. But anyway, you asked that question last week, um, and you said, why? You know, you wanted to think about that. And I think the, you just answered yourself, obviously, with the, the filmmaking quality of, sure. of Maverick. I also think I have some pushback against that, though. Okay, I think that's a big part of it. I also think it's the fact that Maverick is still the main character um, is a big part for me. So you think about force awakens and it's like um, it's Ray. You start out with Ray. Who's basically Luke again, like on a Jack who, but it's Tatooine, you know, on a desert planet. But instead of having her having an aunt and uncle, she's a, she's a complete orphan and she's a scrounger. She's a scavenger. And then it's a, you know, who's who of, Oh, Hey, Han Solo walks in, there's the, you know, there's the Millennium Falcon. There's this, there's There's Chewie. There's Chewie. It's like, oh, it's all our, again, the, you know, member bears. Does They're this
0: m- not do that? Maverick does that, no, it, too, no, to it, a certain degree, because you even mentioned the stinger of the Harold Faltermeyer score when he full, like, pulls out the 86 jacket that he wore. And he, like, he even still, that was the thing. It's like, yesterday I saw it for the second time and came home and Carrie was watching Top Gun, like, right after, and we both started dissecting like weird little nitpicks we had with it is like, so like the jacket, okay, that still fits. I mean, Tom Cruise hasn't really grown a whole bunch. Let's be real. Uh, but like he's still driving the same Kawasaki. That motherfucking motorcycle is running 36 years later. Not to sound like Cody on this episode, but like there's some weird logistical nitpicks I have. Like he must've done a lot of maintenance on that bike. Secondly, Okay, math-wise, the the new recruits. So there's a whole plot line in it where it's like Maverick pulled rooster's Rooster's papers Papers because he's Goose's son. He's looking out for him after Meg Ryan's death. And he doesn't want to go down the same path, and, and like that's one of the big reveals. I guess spoilers for those who are listening. If you're listening to this and you haven't seen Top Gun: Maverick, that's on you in the first place. But here we go. And you here's should your, definitely see it. Here's your massive spoiler warning. But like, so one of the big subplots is that Maverick pulls Rooster's papers. We'll just get into this now.
1: Yeah. And, and, and basically, it delays his
0: naval career because he gets him to not get accepted in the Naval Academy. He has to... They never go into how Rooster actually still gets in, but he eventually gets in. It delays it by four years. But Rooster resents whoever did that. He knows that Maverick did that. How he knows that, I'm not really sure. But, like, again, we're not going to get into it. But, like, okay. Mathematically, if Rooster is the kid... Who's sitting on the piano in Top Gun in 1986? He's my age, 83. He's born 83. Then yeah, he's born in 1983, which would make him roughly 40. Miles Teller is not 40 in this movie. Glenn Plummer, Glenn Powell, Glenn Glenn Powell, not the guy from Strange Days, not 40. None of the characters are 40. So, like, there's not, nobody behind the scenes that's like, we should do some fucking math here, guys. Like, that doesn't actually happen. But again, neither here nor there when we're getting into the actual elemental melodrama of the film itself. But there are weird storytelling issues with that if you wanted to, like, Neil deGrasse Tyson this motherfucker into oblivion. Anyway, we get there and we pick up with Pete Maverick Mitchell, who's now they comment many times as just a captain, and he is a pilot for a test project that's trying to develop a stealth plane to go Mach 10. Yeah. The fastest man in the world. This sequence is so fucking good. Uh huh. And hooked me into the movie. It's Kaczynski itself. magic. It's his like, filmmaking. It's style. him doing almost like sci fi. Or really, it's all the oblivion stuff. Well, it's really the right his version of the right <laughs> stuff, right down to Ed Harris showing up as the the admiral who's supposed to shut it down because he wants to basically allocate their budget into a drone program that he's advocating for because he doesn't want actual pilots to pilot anymore. He wants to do it all with machines. We'll get to that in a second, but man. What a fucking like piece of cinema this opening like 20 or so minutes is because I was just it reminds you of how movies can allow you to touch god. They can do whatever they want if they have the right people behind the camera
1: and in front of the camera frankly. It's um so first off if you ever mention right stuff I'm in a good mood. Like it's one of my favorite movies. Uh top 5 favorite movie. Um I love what the right stuff brought to cinema was that that mythic quality, right? You have that, like the. Of course, my favorite scene is, you know, Chuck Yeager, Sam Shepard walk, you know, taking his horse up to the being gassed up X one, and it's like a fucking dragon in its lair, and he's on, he's the knight going to slay it. He's going to slay the sound barrier. I agree. So when this opening scene, or this main scene happens. I was smiling ear to ear. Even on the second time, I was like, I mean, "I'm chills talking about it." Because like Kaczynski can do this like transcendent thing. That's why I like Oblivion so much. There's a lot of elements. So he does that of this like the mixture of music and emotion, and just like and he's not afraid of wide shots. There's that huge wide shot of uh, it just of his plane streaking across the stratosphere, and it's, it's so like so beautiful. I on, on IMAX, IMAX. He punches ah. back, and you're just like. Yes, yes. Well, and and was, also
0: the line talk to me goose.
1: Like it's oh, literally about and a and guy trying
0: to talk to God
1: in that moment. Yep, he's trying to reconnect with the ghost of his friend to God. And that's where I think there so we talk about legacy sequels, right? We talk about this with Scream, our Scream episode of, you know, this is honestly, I think Force Awakens is the is the original legacy sequel, right? Of um not, not original is one of the main One's Do you have, an, you have another one to think of before that. The modern legacy sequel, as we know it today.
0: Well, if we did modern legacy sequels, Force Awakens is obviously like the the most like concrete example. I don't know. Let me think about it for a second.
1: Okay, but but it's yeah. I mean, so regardless of that, we have. I think of. Force Awakens. I think honestly, a Creed is another one that I think of. Yeah, that's the other one I think of. So Creed, I think, is my favorite of the legacy sequel because that is a that is a film that knows how to use Rocky. That it has the bravery to do what we we've mentioned before off off mic. Um, what Top Gun Two does not have the bravery to do, which is to put Rocky, which is to put Pete in the back seat ever. Um, What's great about Creed is you have... This is Adonis Creed's... I mean, is Color of Money the original legacy sequel? Yeah. But I'm talking about the... What, like what, modern day IP driven I, yes. franchise stuff. Executive driven IP, which is... They saw Force, I mean, Force Awakens is the definition you said of like, hey, let's just do that again. Um, and Creed I always like, because it is still a boxing movie, but it is, it's a very different story of like where Creed came from. Like it subverts it, it to one degree or another. Yeah. And you have obviously Rocky standing in, stepping into the Mickey role, but you bring in the whole cancer narrative, which is a little bit ham fisted, but still like, don't you dare talk shit on Creed? No, I adore Creed. It's like, I love it. But I think it's my favorite of the, like, I think it's how you do a legacy sequel. This feels closer to that than it does to Force Awakens or the ultimate Ghostbusters Ghostbusters Afterlife, which is, like, I think beyond Force Awakens. See,
0: that was my problem with Maverick on the first viewing is I called it the walk the line of legacy (laughs) sequels because it's, like, it hits all the beats perfectly. Oh, yeah. To the point of almost feeling mechanical to a certain degree and also, like, throwing out it's almost like you have to reconcile one with the other, like one uh, part of your brain to where you're like, logically this doesn't add up, but elementally like I feel it like in my gut. And that's on the second viewing, what I kind of gave myself over to is the idea of like, this is more or less a movie about a guy who's been in, let's say almost like a, a state of, uh, It's like stasis almost. Well, I was going to say like isolated or sustained like Icarian adolescence. And it's about how he becomes a man. It's about that old adage of like to become a man, I put away childish things one day. And like that's sort of what Maverick does here only without ever doing that. And that's my biggest, it's still like, even after the second viewing where I just lost my fucking mind, cried almost like reel to reel during the entire thing. I still think that it has a a maverick problem in a weird way in that it's like, it wants its cake and to eat it too. Um, because it's like, it, it doesn't want Pete... Mitchell to ever evolve past what he doesn't even utilize his "quote unquote" maverick tendencies to justify everything and even win over the hearts and minds of of the people who are supposed to follow him or naysaying him the entire time, which is John Hamm, who John Hamm gets to play like the ultimate '80s like bad guy, yes. who's authoritarian who's just sitting there the whole time being like. What you're doing is going against regulation. Very Reagan era, not into it. Like it's just it's perfect. But if you're gonna do that and and you hire John Hamm, that's again kind of perfect in a weird way. But like here, Maverick is justified, and even goes through an entire like coming of age, like late stage, like coming of age arc while still
1: being Maverick. Does that make sense? No, I know exactly where you're going with this. And I agree. Um, Because the film is hindered by the fact that no matter what you do with the script for the last 40 minutes, Maverick has to be the hero. Period. Yeah. And it's like, he's he, team leader. He's team leader. We have to get the film to that point. And the arc you think you're on is he, you know, you, so one of the moral compasses of the film is, is Iceman. So again, spoiler alert, but, you know, his people person, he befriends at the end of the original top gun. He was his hangman, his enemy. That becomes his rabbi becomes throughout his, the
0: rest of his career. Yeah. His he,
1: protector. He protects him. Yeah. So anytime that, that Pete fucks up or, or he, um, makes a mistake, you know, I steps in. He's like, no, 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 he's worth it. Trust me. Navy until, you know, Navy higher ups, this is, we need this guy. So, which is cool. It's actually a cool way to, I think, you know, put Iceman into the movie. Um, but there's a moment where it's, it's actually a really good acting scene by Cruz when he's when he's acting with Al Kilmer and he's crying and he says, I, I'm i a pilot. I'm not a teacher. I can't teach yeah. these kids. And that seems to be what should be the, the, the crux of the film, which is how do I pass on my insanity and the way I fly? Like Hangman says it early in the film too, goes to survive this mission, we all have to fly like Maverick, you know, and – which is interesting because it seems like it's also asking the question of like, no one can fly by like Maverick, bug Maverick. So the film wants to have him teach, but also prove that no one can do what he can do. Like you said, have its cake and eat it too. So it's very much handcuffed by that idea. For me, I think again, what you said earlier, last week we talked is the action trumps everything. The last 45 minutes it's so it, fucking good. If there's While any... still
0: also being a complete remake, it's like the evil dead two of top gun sequels to where you're just like, it takes all the shit you've seen before. And it's like, we're going to do
1: this better. We that's, that's what's interesting. It's like another reason I would put it above obviously ghostbusters afterlife or above force awakens. Like, Star Wars: New Hope is a good movie. Um, Ghostbusters: The Original is a good movie for, for different reasons than they than they captured. It's like you had the magic of you know Bill Murray and Akron and Ramis and Ernie Hudson and there's them and Ivan Wrightman and Ivan Reitman. And Ivan just Reitman. Just filing like firing on all cylinders. It's just it works because of the stars they had. Um, and because of that alchemy, you know that, that, that yeah. lightning in a bottle of a movie and rewatching every watched Top Gun last week to get ready. I was really excited obviously. Um, and it's you know as much as like, one of my favorite ones of the 80s, it's a rough movie. There's actually like long stretches of it kind of being a little bit boring. I think it has the almost elements of like a rocky movie of like music video of just like scene to scene to scene music never stops. It's just like all right, now back into the sky. this movie's action, is light years beyond what they could do. That's not to take away from what Tony Scott did. This is insanity though. Well, and that's what I was going to say is it's the first like template really for the, the
0: Simpson Bruckheimer, like blockbuster that would come after. So it's, it's easy in retrospect to sit there and go, ah, man, compared to like the rock. Top Gun just doesn't deliver in the same way. Or even but like, Crimson Tide. Or I mean, even... Yeah. Cri- well, Crimson Tide is a near-perfect film, so it's tough to compare everything to it. 100% perfect film, yeah. So, like... <laughs> uh, but Tony Scott, like, was laying out the blueprint for everything that would come after. So, yeah, Top Gun's always gonna feel weirdly quaint yeah. in that way. And At dated. the same time, yeah. I saw that fucking... Uh, re-release that they did right before I moved to Austin oh, where really? they did it in the IMAX 3D. I
1: missed that you, shit.
0: Those aerial sequences that, that Tony Scott did are still as good as anything in this one. Now, do I think the action is better in Maverick? Yes. Ultimately, it just it rips in a totally different way. But man, like Tony Scott was being like, you know those fucking fighter jets? I'm going to put a camera on. On those. And it's oh, there's gonna some be shots amazing. Nuts. The shots yeah. under
1: like under the chest. One of the only
0: times I've ever gotten Vertigo in a movie theater is watching that in three D on IMAX because I was just like, dude, he just but it also made me realize that like he succeeded. He did exactly what he wanted to do. He wanted you to
1: experience what it felt like to be in the air with fire pilots. Yeah, and you know, we did a whole Tony Scott episode. I, I that's that's a better way of looking at it is that he laid the path down for films like this. But again, I think that this film does succeed because the first Top Gun is not a perfect film. It is not. No. So this this and but it really takes it, it has fun. Also, it, it it tries to do the similar stuff that, that that Force Awakens did or Afterlife does of like winking at like the shortcomings. I don't agree. I don't think it winks at the shortcomings as much
0: as it's out to. And I think this is where the answer to my question lies is where something like uh, afterlife is winking at you being like, you like this. You like the whole You'll get into it. You like stranger things. You'll be into this. What Maverick is trying to do is actively subvert the character to a certain degree and subvert the original film because it actually takes whole scenes and sequences particularly in Maverick's personal life when he gets into the relationship with Penny Benjamin is that he, it takes the sequences where they from when you know Maverick and Charlie are getting together and that's like it's the way it plays with sexuality is because Top Gun is very much the movie about a young man discovering himself there's that whole Quentin Tarantino monologue uh from Sleep with Me yep. about how Top Gun is just a giant metaphor for, you know, a man's fight with his own inner and closeted homosexuality. But to me, Top Gun has always been about a young man discovering who he is. And part of being a young man is just wanting to fuck, fuck everything. Fuck all the time everything and that's what Pete Mitchell is. Like he's just trying to put his dick in everything and he's trying to go as fast as he can while he does it. And Charlie is just one of many girls that he leaves his quote unquote mark upon, let's say. To put it in the crudest terms possible. Um where so like you have the whole famous Berlin sequence from Top Gun. Yeah, take to my where, breath away. The, the, the Take My Breath away sex scene with the the ice on the navel and everything. And tongues it was even everywhere. Like, tongues everywhere. It's just it's MacGruber. very yeah it's <laughs> MacGruber even parodied it but here like it literally takes that sequence and makes it between Maverick and Penny and it's about the tenderness of being an adult in a sexual relationship and it doesn't show you any of the sex it's it the shows aftermath. them laid down together and then it ends with him confessing to Penny about why he pulled Rooster's Papers And it's an incredibly tender scene about a guy reflecting upon the choices that he's made throughout the entirety of his life. And that's when you, that's almost like the Rosetta Stone to all of Maverick. Because, like, even like that opening sequence, which we love, if you notice, they never replicate the iconic line from Top Gun i feel the need i feel the need for speed because they don't have to because the first 20 minutes is, <laughs> is just that? the walter hillian representation of that through action you know he's still feeling the need for speed because he's a a uh a, a test pilot who's trying to become the fastest man alive and even hondo says that out loud in a moment that just again In that second viewing, like, I was crying through this movie pretty much from beginning to end for different reasons because, like, the first... That opening 20 minutes makes you realize, again, the possibilities of cinema. And when Hondo says he's the fastest man alive, it's just, like, he's Chuck Yeager. He's the guy who's trying to push past the limits of human possibility, you know? And it's just... It's so awe-inspiring. In a certain way. But to bring it back to the, his relationship with Penny Benjamin, you know, that whole scene in the first movie is based upon Berlin's Take My Breath Away, as you even noted. Well, in this movie, the big anthem from it is Lady Gaga's Hold My Hand, which is an absolutely tremendous song. It's really good. It's really fucking good. And she's even claimed that she's wanted to write it for the entirety of her life ever since seeing Top Gun for the first time. I How? do not how truthful or not that is, or how much of that is part of the PR marketing machine, Blah, who gives a shit? The thing is, the song is really good, but it's also thematically perfect because, in the way that "Take My Breath Away" is told from a woman's perspective about meeting this fine young man, who just, all she wants to do again is fuck. Like yeah. she just wants to make love to him in a swept way swept off that, my like, feet. Just yeah. she swept off her feet. She's the princess, and hold my hand. The lyrics, if you listen to them, are about two people meeting at a crucial point in their life and learning to trust one another beyond like a sexual relationship, and that's what Penny and Pete become to one another. It's about a guy growing up and realizing that like this this woman is no longer the eighteen year old who's you know, he took on a joy. He's, she's not the Admiral's daughter that she, he took on a joy ride past, like, you know, the radio tower and buzz them and like, and then had sex with like, she like him has been able to grow up, make her own mistakes, have a daughter get Fing divorced. Up with yeah. Like, and now owns a bar. And it's like, it makes you realize that, that to a certain degree, like Kaczynski understands how these movies were made on a, on a basic elemental craft level in that they were pop masterpieces because every part of them were a piece of like cinematic alchemy. They were an ingredient in this witch's pot and Lady Gaga and the song that she, she brings to it is the same as like, and becomes as iconic as Berlin, take your breath away because it becomes about Pete and Penny realizing that this is the end of the line for both of them. And they couldn't be in a much better place if they just ended up in each other's arms. And that was the, like I'm getting choked up, like talking about this, but like that was the part on the second viewing that I really connected with because it's like, as you get older, you realize that like you only get so many shots at just connecting with another person. And like Pete has achieved all he can mechanically, but as a human being, he's never like synced up with somebody spiritually. And that's
1: what Penny becomes. And it's just, it's really great. No, I love, I love the whole, I I love their whole like romance in this. Again, it feels, I felt the same way watching. I was like, Oh, I'm glad we didn't have a repeat of that. You you compare thinking of the, the song. I think of the, I think it's, fallout boy who does the remix of um the ghostbusters theme for (laughs) not for afterlife but for the the remake right um and what what a what a sign of what a cynical like just the uh, just like fucking a corpse you know just like here we go (laughs) and um this is very different where again it's like what we're going to find the star of today who has her own, her own energy. But again, it's not just bringing that, that thing again. I love that it cut to the aftermath of their, like of their coitus of her. them, And it's not just that they're connecting. It's also like, um, it's two parents. Like he's a parent to rooster. It's like, they're two single parents. He's trying to be, he's trying to be, but it's like, and he's asking her, he's like, how do you, I don't know how to care for this kid because all I want to do is protect him. Like that's the theme of like her idea too is like when you're a parent, you know, even as an, as an uncle for me is like, if I could, I just put my nephew and niece like behind the greatest security gate in the world. Do you know what I mean? Cause it's like the, the, the the fear of anything happening to them. And I, I I get that now, but like for you to say, no, but like a, they'll hate you. They'll resent you. But B, like they can't become the people they're going to be without fucking up on their own and, and growing. And I think like that's the theme too uh, of that. The again, the film, the script's not perfect, you know. And again, like we has the big hurdle we talked about of like in the end, he just becomes Maverick again, you know. That if you Well, were as able much as all yeah. of this movie is a
0: legacy sequel, it's also a referendum on Tom Cruise. Oh, it's yeah. about Tom Cruise saving the movie industry. Like, it literally has, in that great Dark Star sequence in the beginning, it there's that amazing line where they where Hondo says to Maverick, you know what happens if you go through with this. You know what happens to them if and I don't. He, yeah, and he goes, I know what happens to them if I don't. And that's him talking about the movie industry. That's literally Tom Cruise being like, I need to put theatrical viewing blockbuster filmmaking everything that we love about the spectacle of cinema itself up on my shoulders and try to save it like he's and an Maverick in a weird way gives you all of the the crews that we just ran down and picked our favorites from from every era because you get the Color of Money, you get a little bit of Jerry Maguire in the romantic oh, scenes. Yeah. You get fucking Top Gun, which is one of his most iconic movies. And Mission Impossible, too. You I mean, get the, 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 the whole mission. ending of, of the Mission yeah. Impossible like, sequences. I mean, it's just... it. They're trying to do so much that you forgive them... For any kind of narrative shortcomings, because so much of it hits so hard on just a base, like gut level
1: that you walk out a theater, like nearly levitating it. Um, like Tom Cruise after he went clear. Exactly. Um, well, my, 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 my screenwriting partner, Yvonne, like he made the point after seeing the Batman, he said, whatever problems I have with the script, that's a fucking movie. He compared it yeah. he compared it to Once Upon a Time in the West, where like not a perfect script by any means. But Sergio Leone brings it to this like transcendent, just cinematic level. I'm not trying to compare this to Leone, but I think it's that similar thing where the filmmaking gravitas of this movie wipes out any issues I have with it's any issue has a screenplay. It's a screenplay. That's it. It's all of the screenplay, I think, and of course the stinger, which is filmmaking decisions. But yeah, it, most of it is story, and it's those, it's those 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 bumps. But it's like I want to watch this in the biggest. I want to just watch this on IMAX till the end of time. Like I want to. I'm probably going to see it three more times on IMAX. Well, and especially once again, not to keep
0: bringing up the MCU and Marvel and everything, but like this feels like a response to those films of just watching a bunch of dudes punch each other in front of like CGI backgrounds and like trying to prevent a big hole in the sky from ending humanity or whatever. Like this is like Tom Cruise is like, no, what movie stars are all about. is like, I'm going to learn to, Fly a fucking fighter jet. And you know what else I'm going to do? I'm going to set up my own private school and have the other actors learn how to fly fighter jets. And we're going to do it for real. We're going to dogfight. We're going to race planes. We're going to hook fucking IMAX cameras to them. And we're going to show you what human beings are actually capable of in a tangible, real-world environment. And it's just... You like you can't get enough of it. If you love this type of tech shit, I was listening to Kaczynski give an interview on the big picture podcast. And he talked about how they actually did uh, a lot of the fighter pilot, like pilot sequences, because there were these stories coming out because this movie has been now very famously delayed for many years. Shot it four years ago. Yeah. Because of COVID because of the reshoots, because of yada, yada, yada. It's been pushed back and back and back. I mean, it's it's been two so ti- long. Two timelines. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> There's almost an alternate timeline where Maverick never came out. Yeah. You know, it was just finished and we never got it. But you listen to Kaczynski talk about it. All these legends came out of like, we shot 800 hours of film, you know, digitally. And then he talks about like, yeah, that's actually true. However, here's why that is. Because they had experimental digital IMAX cameras in the cockpits of these actual fucking fighter jets that were shooting. And they would go up and do two and a half hour runs in these planes. And they would tell the actors, like, this is what this is about. This is what this scene is. Blah, blah, blah. We're going to film you. And they would have one that's like 10 millimeter for, like, close-ups. Other ones that were capturing things, like you know, that they were doing like motion wise. And then like, they would also have like cameras harnessed to the planes. And then when they landed after those two and a half hours, they would pull all the chips from these cameras and then watch them in a theater together, like as a whole cast and crew and be like, okay, well, we can use that. We can use that. And they would cheer whenever they got something totally right. But he said, out of every one of those two and a half hour runs, they maybe, if they were lucky, got 90 seconds of usable footage. Think about that.
1: Think about how much editing went into that movie. It's almost like you think about um, like the making of uh, Nightmare Before Christmas. They would get a minute of usable right. footage a day. Or it was a week. But this is Something actual stupid. Crafts yeah. people
0: yeah. being like, Again. we're looking for the best takes of these unusual methods that we're using. And it just it results in one of the most exhilarating blockbusters of my lifetime. Yep. Like there's this movie, you know, I finally understood what these dipshits who watch MCU movies and these Star Wars spinoffs and everything talk about when they're like, it made me feel like a kid again. And I always laughed at them. This made me feel like what it, what it was like to watch Armageddon in the theater again, or to watch Crimson Tide or The Rock or any of those classic Simpson Bruckheimer pieces of like popcorn entertainment, because this is exactly that. This is the perfect
1: replication of it while also
0: doing something sort of new. The fact that
1: it was supposed to come out two and a half years ago is mind blowing because it's ahead of its time still. Like it's, it's, again, it's a throwback, but it's also, there were reshoots obviously, but holy shit that, that this, it doesn't take that I mean, obviously it was insanely hard to make this movie, but like there were, they were so right on the money. They could be three years late and still be better than everything out today. 100%. Um, yeah. They're just like, they're like, Hey, yeah, we took three years. Yeah. But still cruise also knew because Paramount, they, they wanted to sell it to, uh, to Amazon. Because was the, the whole thing. Amazon was right. Amazon was buying all Paramount's theatrical things. Like that's when, like, Without Remorse, the uh Michael B. Jordan, that was supposed to be a theatrical. Right. They bought that. They wanted to buy Bond. That was another one that was pushed back on. Not Paramount, but still. And the crew's like, no. Like Yeah, he put his foot down and was like, We're gonna do this to save theaters. And and he did what Tenet could not. Tenant was a little too early, you know? Um I love Tenet, but yeah. You know, actually brought that level of. Well, this also delivers in a way that Tenet doesn't. Like, <laughs> absolutely.
0: Like Nolan 100% is making an art film on like a Top
1: Gun budget. And he's not an action director. We both know that. No, not, so, not like. He's a spectacle this, director, but yeah. not action.
0: So before we go, let me ask you one more question. How do you feel about the new pilots?
1: Um, They're one of the weakest parts of the movie, I think. Um, uh,. I like Rooster. I like Hangman. Some of the other characters just don't get enough. What about Bob? I like. Oh, Bob. I love Bob. No, Louis I, Pullman. I think he is one of the best parts of the movie. So I apologize. Maybe miss his dad. Yes. Um, well, he's so funny. Like, and he's also like very lovable in it. Like yeah. his introduction is great, where he's like cleaning peanut shells off his crotch. Like everyone else is drinking and trying to be badass, and he's just this nerd. Um, no, I I think. I don't think it's a weakness for the movie, but again, this is Tom Cruise's movie. This is not Ray in force awakens where it's like, sure. this is your new protagonist. Because if this were rooster's movie, he would have had a love interest. He would have had a love interest with the, the other female. They start to go down that path. And in I thought Phoenix, and I thought they were going to, and I'm glad they didn't. That was the one thing I did like script
0: wise is that it felt like they built in all this backstory with these folks Yes, that they had, trained together, they had performed together, they had gone on missions together, like, maybe Phoenix had bounced around between a couple of the guys, but, like, it does a lot with very little of, like, establishing who these people are. Again, much better than anything in Force Awakens fucking does. Fuck those movies. But,
1: um, long live Top Gun Maverick. Yeah, no, and it, it, he, one of the things Kaczynski gets is he, like, especially from Once, uh, Only the Brave, he gets like a Howard Hawks type of storytelling sometimes like really well. And the way that people, men and women, especially in professional settings, rib each other, like he knows how to play with that. Um, And it's really just satisfying to watch. Well, and the other thing too, not to jump ahead
0: in our own series, but there's something weirdly fascinating about pairing Top Gun Maverick and even only the brave with the relationship between Jennifer Connelly and Josh Brolin and that about two folks who like keep each other on like a very specific path. Let's say like she does the same thing with Maverick. She becomes like Iceman, the moral compass of the movie and is basically like at the end saying like the way that you succeed when everything seems to be falling apart is just being true to Maverick. Yep. You you bring who you are back. The movie that this oddly pairs well with is Crimes of the Future. I was going to say, Cronenberg, I knew where you were going there. Which we will talk about in depth very soon. Maybe next week. Um, maybe next week. <laughs> but uh, it reminds me of the relationship that uh, Lea Sadu and, and uh, Viggo Mortensen have in that movie because both become... Re- a, as much as they are referendums about Tom Cruise and Maverick's part, it's about a referendum on not selling out and staying true to yourself and finding the people who operate on your specific wavelength and like just sticking to that. And as much as like Maverick ends with, uh, this surrogate family that he creates about finding a wife, finding these children that he always wanted to care for while he was, uh, you know, let's say, fucking embracing, around. <laughs> yeah, the, the passions of a younger man, he still ends up exactly where he needs to belong. And, and that's, I mean, there's, there's something real moving about that. Even if the, the A to B to C storytelling doesn't 100% add up, on a like a pure emotional level, like this movie left me just in tears and
1: and loving movies themselves. So I'm I have no complaints. I I felt the same. I, I said I didn't want to wax poetic, but I felt this renewed my faith in big big budget movie like yeah, filmmaking one hundred percent. And I was just so enthralled. And again, I just it's been a while since I was like, Hey, I want to see this five more times in the theater. Like I just want to, before it's gone, because like, it's going to be different on my TV. It it is again, I, yeah, to the audience. I just say, I I feel bad for the people who are
0: actually going to watch this at home. I rarely buy into that sentiment because I mean, you and I being video store kids, like (laughs) experience so many of our favorite movies at home for the first time. But like this movie, it's just, it, it, Reminds you of like, there's nothing better or few things better than giving yourself over uncynically to a a big blockbuster on the largest screen possible.
1: With an audience that's also the same wavelength. Yeah, they're just all all hooked in. I sit next to you guys last night just crying and I was just like, shit. You know, like it was hitting everybody, you know. Well, Martin,
0: this has been great. Indeed. We've kind of already let the cat out of the bag. (laughs) So next week. We're going to be talking about Cronenberg and, so we'll cool. cool. and Crimes of the Future. So I hope you tune in because that
1: one's going to get real weird. Very fast. We'll see you then. Stay tuned. Me. Me. Mm-hmm. Hold all my, my hand,
2: hand. Everything, everything will be okay. I heard, the be I heard from the heavens that clouds have been great. me aching arms I see that you're hurting why'd you take so long to tell me Yes. Dis-